Well, if you would, please turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. I'll read Colossians 3, 1 through 4 for us, then we'll pray. If you have a pew Bible right now, you grabbed one maybe from the lobby or something, there's black Bibles, Colossians 3 is on page 984. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Pray with me. Lord, we come to your word now, and we ask that you would teach us by it. That you would give us hearts and minds and lives ready to hear your word, learn from it, be taught by it, to be transformed by it. We pray that your word would have a lasting effect on us this morning, not because of anything I would say, but because of the power of your spirit working through your word. Lord, we declare that we are dependent upon you and your spirit at work within us to even understand your word, to apply it to our lives faithfully. So Lord, help us to do that now. Help us to humble ourselves for your word so that we might learn from it, that we might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. What have you been consumed by this week? It's kind of a busy time. Christmas, lots of things going on. We had a busy last two weekends, my family. There are innumerable things, not just in a Christmas season or a Christmas week, vying for our attention, vying for your attention every day, every moment it would even seem. Because we live in a world, really, that offers so much to us. We've got social media always at our fingertips. Amazon says, order something today, it'll come tomorrow. We're often, with all our technology, inundated with news and headlines. And we live in a kind of almost hyper-involved societal atmosphere that says, here's a problem, now take it and make it yours. Own it, do something about it. And all of these things can creep into our lives and though maybe not inherently bad, can distract us from that which is truly important. They distract us from what's most important because when they consume us, they begin to chip away at our true identity as Christians, at your true Christian identity. What you dwell on, what you were consumed by this past week, what took your attention really 
matters. Because what you dwell on, what you seek after, what you pursue determines often how you act. What you seek after, what you pursue, what you dwell on shapes you. So wherever you find yourself, whoever you are, whatever's stealing your attention, whether it be relatives or money or work stress, whether you are someone who feels like you just have too much to do right now, or you're struggling with your health, maybe you have challenges with your kids that just seem to consume you. Perhaps you have challenges even this morning in your marriage that you just can't get past. Wherever you find yourself, whether in the good, the bad, or the ugly of life, you need the message of Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Because we're distracted people. And Paul, in Colossians, is writing to a distracted people. They had false teachers either rising from among them or coming at them from the outside, trying to detract from them clinging to Christ. False teachers who would have said, it's not really Christ who saves you, but perhaps these things you do. Take on this external reality. Do what I say. Even take on these traditions and do them. Celebrate a festival. That's how you are a true Christian. And so the Colossian Christians, like us, were inundated with things that would distract them. But this passage gets to the heart of of the matter. It gets to your focus and it gets to your identity. Because what you dwell on, what you're consumed by, is guided by who you are. And not just who you are, but whose you are. So we're going to look at Colossians 3 1 to 4 in just two pieces this morning. First, your Christian identity. And second, your Christian focus your Christian identity, and your Christian focus. Oftentimes, our outline would follow exactly the verses in the text. But Paul in this passage just has kind of two big ideas. And so we're going to talk about different verses, a little bit out of order at times, but follow along with me. Your Christian identity and your Christian focus. Point number one, we want to live faithful, Christ, faithful lives for Christ. We must understand our Christian identity. This identity, the Christian's identity, is most fundamentally understood as in Christ. Your Christian identity is in Christ. Really being united to Christ. Being united with Christ. And this is a reality that Paul speaks of all throughout Colossians. If, if you have time this week, just take a moment, read through Colossians 1 and 2, or even another letter of Paul, and just mark all the times that he says, in Christ, with Christ, Christ in you. It's not just in Colossians, it's all throughout the New Testament. This idea of being in Christ, or what we would call union with Christ. So much so that it's referenced over 200 times throughout the New Testament. In most of your Bibles, that's like one time per page if you averaged it out. That's a lot. This is an important reality for us to understand. 
And Paul speaks of this reality so often and, and, and gives it to us today because we're prone to forget it. We're feeble. We're weak people. We're often worldly Christians, distracted. We begin to lose sight of our true identity when we let the entrapments of the world shape us and rule us. So what does it mean really to be united with Christ, to be in Christ. Paul tells us in our verses, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, you have died. It's kind of assumed, he says it earlier in Colossians, with Christ. Verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 4, Christ is your life. Verse 4, you will appear with him. Your new identity in Christ is centered around the fact that everything Jesus Christ has done for you now belongs to you. We read of death, we read of resurrection, we read of life, we read of even future glory. And in each case, Paul is speaking of us and of Christ. Other verses in Colossians and throughout Scripture speak the same way. Listen to Colossians 2.12. You've been buried with him, that's Christ, and you've been raised with him. Colossians 2.13, made alive with him. Colossians 1.22, you've been reconciled in Christ's body of flesh by his death. Galatians 2.20 even tells us that we've been crucified with Christ. It's really interesting to think about. We've been crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. Because you and I know that we weren't present on the cross. There's no holes in my wrists. I wasn't physically in the tomb. But Christ has joined us to himself in such a way that every single aspect of redemption that he accomplishes for us is as if we've done it ourselves. And so we can say that we share in Christ's death, we're baptized into his death, in his resurrection, because we have been resurrected with Christ, in his ascension, even after he was resurrected, when he went up to heaven, because we've been raised with him. And even as he is our advocate in heaven now as our behalf, because we know that we sit with him in the heavenly places. And that our life, as verse 4 tells us, is hidden with Christ in God. And we also share, as verse 4 tells us, in his return. His glorious return. Christ is united to us. And we are united to him. Because he is our our representative. Our substitute. Though you and I had not yet been born, God counted us us, his people, in union with Christ throughout all his accomplishments, all his redemptive work for us. Guys, this is an incredible reality. This is uh, what some people would say is the umbrella under which all of redemptive work sits. All other redemptive realities and doctrines fall under this. Because if you were not united to Christ... Redemption would not be possible. Union with Christ, one author puts it, is the controlling center. 
the most important reality of what it means to be Christian. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 tells us that we have been raised with Christ. Think for a moment what Christ's resurrection accomplished. Christ rose from the dead. And in doing so, we know that he proclaimed victory over sin and over death. And so in salvation, in redemption, we remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we've been made alive together with Christ. So just as Christ rose from the dead, so we are pulled up by him out of the muck, out of the mire, out of the refuse of the sin and the spiritual death that once ruled our lives. Because we were dead in sin. But Christ, because we have been raised with Christ, verse 1 tells us, we have been given life. We're given freedom from sin, from eternal torment, from the condemnation that sin brings upon us, from the guilt of sin. Perhaps you're a Christian who's struggling. Maybe you're filled with despair or you're distraught. Maybe you're feeling beaten down by your failures and by your sin. Others of you are here today and you kind of feel stuck. How can I ever overcome sin in my life? It feels so hard. I feel stuck. If you find yourself there, you must remind yourself of the truth that you have been raised with Christ. So there is no sin, no fault that cannot be overcome because Christ has given you new life, a new identity. Think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Because you've been raised with Christ, you've been raised up from the power of sin and death that once ruled you. Because the Spirit indwells you, you have power to conquer it. Verse 3 tells us, for you have died. Christ's resurrection secures our life in him, but his death on our behalf paid the penalty for our sin. In saying that we have died, Paul is pointing us to this guilt-free nature that every Christian now experiences. Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because in Christ's death for sin we're given his righteousness and therefore we are free because we have died to sin Christian there's no condemnation for you because Christ's death his payment for your sin on the cross is counted as you doing it he's paid for your sin in full This is a really freeing reality. I remember I had lived many years as a Christian before Romans 8.1 really sunk in. The reality that Christ's death was my own and therefore his payment for sin was truly my payment. 
I knew the facts, but it hadn't sunk down deep into the depths of my soul. So I felt guilty. I felt like every sin that I committed, I had to remedy. I I had to do something to make it right. I knew Christ had paid for my salvation, and perhaps you know that Christ has paid for your salvation, but you're still trying to earn grace. You're still trying to do things to earn merit before God because you still feel guilty before him. When you are in Christ, Colossians 3 tells us that we have died with him. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's nothing that needs to be paid. Christ has picked up the whole tab. It's free grace. An absolute, absolute assurance of pardon. We're united to Christ in his death. We have died. But Colossians 3, Paul goes on. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And in verse 4, Christ is your life. Being in Christ means that you are secure. Because you are most fundamentally tied and united to Christ, you can never be separated or disunified in any way from him. Nothing can separate you from him. For that to happen, Christ would have to undie. He'd have to crawl back into the grave and never resurrect. He'd have to take back every piece of his redemptive work. And it's impossible for that to happen. It's as sure as the sun rising and the sun setting every day. Your life is hidden with Christ. James Stewart was a Scottish pastor and a theologian who lived in the early 1900s. He spoke of Christ being the Christian's life in this way. He said, Christ is the redeemed man's new environment. He has been lifted out of the cramping restrictions of his earthly lot into a totally different sphere, the sphere of Christ. He has been transplanted into a new soil and a new climate. And both soil and climate are Christ. His spirit is breathing a nobler element. He is moving on a loftier plane. End quote. Christ is your life. You're no longer the world's. And Colossians 1.13 even tells us that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, we are no longer of this world. Painted by sin, mired by death, but we're part of the kingdom of Christ kingdom of his beloved son. We're part of a new creation and a new humanity that Christ is making and that he initiated in his redemptive work. Christ is your life. Paul tells us that we are hidden with him. We're part of Christ's kingdom. Because of this, because of being united to Christ, Christ is now the central element 
of our life. Paul tells us in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, Christ is your life. One author said that this makes Christ the most irreducible reality about you. Consider it this way. Your life in its many layers. On the outside of your life, you have the clothes you wear, the food you like, the places you go. But peel that back. And beneath it, you have the family you were born into, uh, perhaps your nationality, your work, where you go to school. Peel that back another layer. You have your friends, your family, the people that you love most. But peel that back again. We're getting deeper. Now we've entered into the truths you hold dear, deep in your hearts. What you truly believe about God, where you believe about your future is heading because of him. Peel it all back again. Now here are your sins, your secrets, past and present. Perhaps even things nobody else knows about you. Peel it back again. And if all of this was peeled back, the single, solid, immovable, foundational truth about you, is that you are in Christ. That you are united with Christ. It can never be changed. And we couldn't be anything other than this. Nothing else could be true because we are secure in Christ. We did not make our union with Christ happen. Christ made it happen. 2 Timothy 1 verses 8 to 9 tells us that it is God who has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Listen to this. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is a great reality. Because it means that that which is most true of us foundationally, that we are in Christ has been planned by God and secured by God since before time began. We don't deserve this. We can never earn it. And this is all of grace. Because it is all of God's working. Your life is hidden with Christ. And it's interesting. Read verse 3 with me. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As if being secure in Christ was not enough, Paul brings it home even further. It's as if you're held in Christ's secure hands, and then God's hands come and wrap them around Christ's. John 10 puts it this way, No one will snatch them out of my hand, and my Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Your salvation, your new identity in Christ is immeasurably and eternally secure. Nothing can change that. You can't lose it. You couldn't throw it away if you tried. And you can never loosen the almighty and the powerful grip of Christ on your life. He holds you closely if you are truly his. This is, this is marvelous truth that God has seen it fit to bring us together with Christ so that everything that he has accomplished is as if we've done it. It's ours 
And we receive immeasurable spiritual blessings because of it. Forgiveness, sanctification, justification, redemption. It's our, it's all ours. But it doesn't end there. And it's not just now because Paul tells us that when Christ appears, then we will appear with him in glory. This is what verse 4 says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul tells us that Christ's fate is our fate. So it's not just that which he has done, but it's that which he is going to do. His future is our future. And so the ultimate fate for you, Christian, the end for you is unbounded, immeasurable glory. Because when Christ returns, we return with him. The dead in Christ, we read elsewhere, will rise, and so too will those Christians who are alive, and they will be joined together with Christ. We look forward to an eternity of glory with our Savior. That reminds us that our hope isn't here in the present in this life. We have hope in this life, but our ultimate hope is not this life. It's in Christ's return. And we know that when Christ return, he will establish his eternal reign over the new heavens, over the new earth. Our future is sure. And it's a surely glorious future. Because it's with Christ. It cannot be stopped. It will not be thwarted. It cannot be taken away. And it cannot be diminished. Because when Christ appears, then we also appear with him in glory And we will spend an eternity with him in glory. All of this, every single aspect of what Christ has done, secured in Christ. Christian is someone who is, two important words, in Christ. It's our most fundamental identity. And this reality that we are Christ's, that we are not our own, that we've been raised up to a higher, nobler, more lofty position, it's as if it takes us out of this world. It lifts us above it. It's cares. It's distractions. It's often misaligned focus. And it gives us a new focus. So Christian, number one, you're Identity in Christ, but number two, your focus in Christ. Point number two is your Christian focus. And we see this in verses one and two. Maybe you notice there's just a, a little sliver we skipped over here. And, and there's two commands that Paul gives us. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. I'll say it again, but Paul is speaking to distracted Christians. Paul's teachers came in, and what they were doing is they were essentially pulling the Christian's focus off of Christ as supreme and sufficient. Supreme and sufficient to save them. Supreme and sufficient over all things. And supreme and sufficient to sanctify them. 
They were undermining the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ for both salvation and sanctification. And so Paul's aim was to raise Christ up and display him as sufficient and as over these things and all powerful for them. He's done this for us. He did this for them by reminding them of their union with Christ, his work on their behalf, work that was and is absolutely sufficient to save. He also wrote to Christians, not just that we're tempted to look elsewhere for justification, for salvation, but Christians who were tempted to forsake Christ as sufficient for their sanctification. If you look really quickly uh, towards the end of Colossians 2 with me, verse 16, Paul says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let, verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from who the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. We read there that someone was coming into the Colossian church and was trying to impose some sort of outward restriction on the Christians, as if to say, if you're really a Christian, these are the things you do. Keeping the Sabbath Keeping Jewish festivals, maybe even being circumcised makes you a Christian. Or asceticism, denying the flesh in just ridiculously extreme ways that don't necessarily equal sanctification and holiness. These Christians were tempted to look outside of Christ for their growth. And so Paul addresses... First and foremost, not the external, the mind, not not actions you put on first and foremost, they are important, but the mind, the heart, the soul. Because Paul knows that your mind and your heart leads to your actions, leads to what your life is characterized by. Because Paul knows That true change, true change, true Christian living, true growth and holiness, what we call sanctification, starts on the inside. So Paul doesn't say do this, do that first and foremost when addressing our growth in Christ. He addresses where our minds and our hearts are focused. Because we are in Christ, we have a new focus. And he tells us to seek the things above where Christ is. Because of your true identity in Christ, your new Christian identity, you are to search out, to long for, and to run after, to pursue the things that he calls above. We're to seek heavenly realities. And what does he say? Because that's where Christ is. Our life's pursuit, our aim, our overarching goal is to be set on the heavenly things of Christ. Notice this isn't passive. Paul speaks in commanding language here. This is an imperative. It's active seeking, going after Christ. And this is our natural response when we understand that we are in Christ. 
Because when we are in Christ, we begin to understand that growth happens first and foremost as we grow deeper in Christ. Growth happens as we grow deeper in Christ. Because because as we seek him, we learn more of him. And our view of him is enlarged and it grows When we seek him first and foremost, our view of him becomes more glorious, more full, more complete, more accurate. In the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the books, is Prince Caspian, the return to Narnia. In a scene in this book, Lucy encounters Aslan, and she runs to him and greets him. And this is what they say to one another. Aslan says, welcome, child. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Aslan says, that is because you are a little, older little one. So Lucy says, not because you are? He says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. As we seek Christ, our view of him grows. It expands. It enlarges. He becomes more grand, more full. Not because he is growing. Not because he changes. Because we grow in our understanding of him. Are you pursuing Christ with your life? What about your thought life? What do you dwell on during the day? Do you think about when you wake up, when you go to sleep? You pursuing Christ. The reason we seek that which is above is because we've been made a part of the above. And Paul tells us again in verse 2, it almost sounds the same, but he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It feels like he reiterates exactly what he says before. Okay, seek the things above and set yourself on the things above. But it's a little bit different. Seeking, run after it, go get it. Setting, stay there, remain there. Concentrate on the things of heaven. Fix yourself upon Christ. Dwell on the realities of your identity in Christ. Psalm 1 tells us Psalm 1 tells us that the blessed man meditates on the law of the Lord and the blessed Christian meditates on heavenly realities on Christ. So we are to remain steadfast, anchored in setting ourselves upon heaven and its true realities upon Christ and his glory. But maybe if you're like me, these statements almost feel a little bit intangible, don't they? Because we are people who are geared towards the external. We're geared towards checking off a box and doing something. And so rather than making Christian growth first and foremost about seeking Christ, we make it about doing a just particular thing. Maybe someone told you to. Maybe you just came up with it yourself. Maybe it's from scripture, but you haven't done the first step. 
So often we just try to meet external standards and think that that is growth. And it stems from good motives. We desire to live lives quite actively and effectively that bring Christ honor, that please the Lord. The life that pleases the Lord starts with a heart that does first. False religion starts on the outside. True religion starts on the inside. So growth as Christians is first and foremost in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. This will produce external change. If you're just caught up in the clouds and your head is stuck there, you're gonna, you've, you've, perhaps you've heard the, say, the saying, he's so set on heaven that he's no earthly good. So heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. I've never met a man like that. I've never met a person like that. And if you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, perhaps you're not actually heavenly minded. Because when you're heavenly minded, it does produce change in your life. But outside change won't last. Growth doesn't last if it's not true growth that starts in the heart. So how do we do this? How do we listen to Paul, hear him, and put what he says into practice? How do we seek Christ? And how do we dwell on Christ and set ourselves there and anchor ourselves there? How is it that we grow deeper in Christ? And what fuels growth in Christ? The truth of Christ most foundationally is found in your Bible in your laps, right there in front of you. It's found in the word of God. So if you want to seek Christ, read his word. It's not a box to check off, but it's because you've been so consumed by him and love for him and his love for you and what he has now made you that you desire to learn more of him, to grow and get that bigger and deeper picture of Christ. That as you grow, He grows, not because he changes, but because you see him all the more clearly. What's another common way we grow? Devote ourselves to prayer. We commune with the Lord. We speak to him. We praise him. Take your Bible, read it, and then pray what you've read. Spend time, set a timer. Say, I'm just going to do it for a certain amount of time so that I'm not distracted. When the timer goes off, then I can be distracted. Push yourself farther and farther. Spend time praising Christ, dwelling on his truth. And another way that we grow and that we can set our lives and our minds on Christ and that we can seek him is through a life of fellowship with other believers. We're not meant to live this life alone. You and I are meant to live in community with one another in a local church. We need other people to push us forward, to build us up, to sharpen us as we seek after Christ, as we seek to grow, as we pursue following Christ together. Most of you probably have heard this before, right? Like, read your Bible, pray in a church. It's nothing too new. But so often these very simple things that the Lord has given us that help us set our minds on him, that help us seek after him, 
pretty content to ignore. Pretty content to ignore. Paul says this next in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. And then he gives us this negative, not on things that are on the earth. A significant part of your new identity in Christ, in following after Christ, in seeking him, is unmooring, untethering ourselves from the things in this life. In 2 Timothy, Paul calls us good soldiers of Christ and states that a good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Are, are civilian pursuits inherently wrong? The answer is no, they're not. Are things in this life, even material things, inherently bad? No, they're not. Nobody's answering. Are they bad? No. Not inherently, but a good soldier has been given clear commands and follows out those commands with a laser focus. Everything else fades away to the side. It's not unimportant. It's not inherently bad, but it's not the main thing. And so with us as faithful Christians, we set our minds on Christ, knowing that he is the main thing. So we must ask ourselves, does your life reflect someone who has their heart and mind laser focused on Christ? Are you seeking after the things above first? What does your time say about your focus on Christ and your pursuit of the above? What does your bank account say? regarding your focus on Christ. It's really easy to be distracted by money, by your family, by kids, maybe even by your spouse making them the main thing above Christ. By the house you want, by the car you want, by any success you might pursue in this life or the excesses that we so easily just take on and grab a hold of. None of this is the main thing called to live faithfully where, where God has put us and with what we've been given so that we can use them for Christ's glory. But the things you have, the place Christ has put you, isn't even the main thing. Because if anything other than Christ becomes your ultimate focus, where your heart is tied, and it becomes distorted, it becomes wrong, it even becomes sinful. Christ, he alone is the main thing. So Paul tells us, seek out the things above, not on the earth. Set yourself on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. And this is all because of who we are in Christ Jesus. Because as a Christian, you are most fundamentally in Christ. This is a glorious position that Christ has put us in. And when we understand it, our lives and our focus hones in on Christ first and foremost. And we understand that growth happens in Christ with a focus on him 
first and foremost. And, and then that, that will dictate our actions. In closing, I'm going to just give perhaps three sort of applications. And, and there are some of you here today, perhaps, and maybe you've even sat in church for years, and perhaps you just think, that's fine, that's all good and well, good for you, but I'm okay on my own. You say, I'm sufficient in myself. I'm all I need. What more could I want? My life is good, and I don't think you can offer me anything different. Problem with this is you can be all sufficient, but there's just one thing you can't be. You cannot possibly possibly be all sufficient and a Christian. You cannot possibly be all sufficient and a Christian. Think with me to the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, when he approaches Christ and he, he proclaims that he had kept the law and yet he asks, what's missing? What must I do to be saved? All of us have to come to this point. We have to ask, what's missing? What's missing? Something is missing and only Christ is sufficient to save. Only Christ. Others of you are, are here, and perhaps you say that's fine, but I'm seeking satisfaction elsewhere. I like the world. I like the things that are on earth. But you know that like the prophet Jeremiah said, the things of the world are broken cisterns, empty vessels, unable to provide life, unable to provide living water. You know it. You've tried the world. You keep pursuing it, but you know it doesn't satisfy. Friends, today you can turn to Christ. He is the only true one who can satisfy your truest need of salvation. Trust in his work on the cross. Trust in his payment for your sin. You'll receive the blessings of being in Christ and being united with Christ. They will be added to you. Forgiveness, redemption, no condemnation. You don't need to wait another moment. Christ calls to you today and with whatever you bring, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Christian, if you find yourself in Christ, but you're looking to the world for satisfaction, Unmoor yourself from it and return to your first love. Return to your Savior. Remember his satisfying love and affection for you. Remember his work on your behalf. And remember that you are most fundamentally in Christ, that you are his. An old hymn, it's called None But Christ Can Satisfy. And this is its refrain. Refrain. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Christ Jesus found in thee. Christian, don't hesitate day by day, moment by moment. Tie yourself to Christ. Remember your new identity, that you've been united with him, and therefore that 
all that is his is yours. Every blessing, every act of redemption on your behalf, they are yours because they are Christ's. So we're to live in light of this reality. We're to make Christ our focus. We need to make him the main central thing. We need to put him above all else in a place of prominence in our hearts and in our lives because this is what he deserves. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us do just this. You would help us untether ourselves from the world. And once again, remember who you've made us. You've caused us to be in Christ, and because we are in Christ, we have everything we need. Help us to forsake lesser things so that we might grab hold of Christ day by day, moment by moment. And Lord, we ask that you would empower us by your spirit to do this. That we would not rely on ourselves and our own strength, our own might to do this. That we would rely on the power of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, your spirit that dwells within us. Help us do this now that you would help us to live faithfully as we go from here. Amen.